You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. It is so easy to point fingers and poke holes in the way that law enforcement, lawyers, and the entire system deal with cases, criminals, and victims. I've done it here on the show, and people have likely been doing it since the advent of laws and punishments for crimes. One thing that most of us don't lend enough credence to is the fact that it can be incredibly difficult to sift through the truths of multiple people in order to find the real truth, or the closest thing possible. This week's case is a shining example of that because there are stories of sexual assault, there is a murder, and there are certainly a heap of mental health struggles that were diagnosed but not deemed to be a deterrent to the killer standing trial. There was a ton of backstory to this case, and in the end, perhaps, there are only two things to be taken from this case. One, the killer was a killer who held a grudge, let it fester, and then lashed out in the worst way possible. And two, there are so many bad things that are done by people to other people, and there are so many lies that a person can tell themselves over time. But vicious, violent, and premeditated murder is never the answer. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 117 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Separating Truth from Fiction, The Murder of Lisa Trubnikova. Adrian Thomas Loyo was born on February 5th of 1984, four days before my birthday, and ironically, the date that this episode drops is also his birthday. I promise I did not do that on purpose. Adrian was born in El Paso, Texas, and was the eldest of three children to Shirley Guerrero and George Loya. Adrian was not a planned child, and his parents were still living apart when Adrian was born. George actually didn't even know that Adrian was born until months after his birth. Shirley and George would eventually get married when Adrian was two years old, but the marriage unfortunately did not work out, and when Adrian was four, his parents would get divorced. Shirley remembers that around that time that Adrian was in the third grade, she started to see a change in him and in his entire personality. 
He went from being a relatively easy child to suddenly developing a lot of explosiveness in his behavior. Shirley said that one minute Adrian could be completely docile and devoid of emotions, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, he could be explosive and volatile. His anger was generally directed at his younger brother and his younger sister. Shirley remembers that she knows that things were strange, and she mentioned that Adrian should start to see a counselor. However, George said that Adrian was just going through a phase and didn't need any counseling. When Adrian was in high school, his mom made the decision that she and the children were going to move to San Antonio, Texas from El Paso, but Adrian made the decision that he was going to stay in El Paso with his father so that he could finish high school and stay where he was comfortable. In high school, Adrian was known as a poor student who neglected his schoolwork and seemed unengaged. Adrian was, however, on the school swim team, and he was a very capable swimmer. Adrian would graduate high school and then try to decide what was next for him. A month after his 21st birthday in 2005, he started to put everything in motion for himself. He wanted to get out of his father's home, and he decided that he was going to join the Coast Guard. Adrian knew that he loved and thrived when he was in a world that was filled with structure and security as well, and because of that, he knew that the Coast Guard was indeed the place for him. He knew that he didn't want to enlist in the armed forces and chose the Coast Guard because, in his own words, the Coast Guard saved lives, while the armed forces take lives. Eventually, Adrian found himself stationed in Kodiak, Alaska, and for the most part, he was a loner. He truly kept to himself outside of work hours, and even at work, his social activity was really at a minimum. He enjoyed playing video games and looking online for things to purchase. Being in Alaska left him obviously with limited resources and limited places that he could purchase things in person, and he was in fact happier to do his shopping online instead. In September of 2011, Adrian attended a Coast Guard morale and mixer event in Alaska where he had been stationed as a Coast Guard petty officer. At that event, he would meet a petite brunette woman whose name was Lisa Berlanga. As the two chatted, they discovered that they actually had a fair bit in common. They would find out that they had both grown up within a couple of hours of one another in Texas, and they also found out that both of them had listed Kodiak, Alaska, as their very bottom choice for tours of duty with the Coast Guard, and yet they were both stationed right there in Kodiak. Lisa also worked as a petty officer, and the two of them shared similar interests and traits such as a dry sense of humor and sense of wit, and a love for the show Arrested Development. As the two developed a friendship that changed a little bit as Adrian realized that he had found someone that he enjoyed being around. He hoped that he had made a new best friend, and he believed that his life was going to become just 
that much more livable with someone like Lisa as a small part of it. The only real caveat was that even though Adrian found Lisa to be attractive, he knew that she was unattainable. You see, Lisa was engaged to be married to another woman. Lisa was engaged to Anna Trubnikova, who was a Coast Guard reservist. Adrian remembers, though, that when Anna came to Alaska and learned of the fast friendship that was growing between Adrian and Lisa, she was pensive, and she didn't trust Adrian's motives. Anna told Lisa that she should limit the time that she spent with Adrian outside of work, just to be safe. Adrian says that he resented Anna and her assumptions very much because she showed up stepped in, and she severely damaged his new budding friendship with Lisa, and as such, she severely damaged his life. Lisa, however, did acquiesce to Anna's request, and she and Adrian stopped hanging out outside of work, and at work, the relationship was even deteriorating. The two had many passive-aggressive run-ins, and there was an incredible sense of tension because of the friendship that had formed fast and been ripped away just as quickly. That was until September of 2012, about a year after Adrian and Lisa first met. That was when Lisa invited Adrian over to her home while Anna was away on a three-week tour of duty. The invite came over around midnight, but yearning for that friendship, Adrian did go over to the house. Adrian's recollection of events cannot be validated whatsoever, but he says that the two were sitting on the couch and watching The Simpsons when things started to get weird. He said that Lisa started to touch herself and masturbate next to him on the couch. Adrian then said that Lisa tried to kiss him and tried pulling him towards her and Anna's bedroom. Reportedly, Lisa tried to urge him by telling him that they could have sex and it would be alright as long as neither one of them ever told Anna. Adrian admitted that he was attracted to Lisa, but he declined. He said that he could not cross that line and be a part of an affair behind Anna's back. Lisa persisted in her intoxicated state, and she got angry. She asked him what was wrong with him. Even though Lisa and Adrian did not ever have sexual penetration, Adrian developed the idea in his mind that what Lisa had done to him was rape. Unfortunately, that delusional belief would eventually fester and lead to horrible events. On top of that delusional belief, Adrian's mind was racing with all kinds of thoughts. Lisa was his subordinate in the Coast Guard, and he had gone to her house alone, knowing that she was intoxicated, and he started to become paranoid that this was going to all blow up in his face. He started to worry that Lisa would spin the story differently to get back at him for rejecting her. He knew that if that happened, it was possible that he could lose his dream job and everything that he had worked so hard for. The very next day, Lisa said that she was sorry to him for what had happened, and she had asked Adrian to keep the situation between the two of them. 
as someone can be apt to do when they're severely paranoid, Adrian decided that he wanted to get ahead of any possible repercussions for what had happened, and as such, he started to tell people in confidence about what had happened. Two of the people that he confided in were his one remaining friend from high school and also his father. Everyone that he told, though, seemed to have the same reaction. They couldn't understand why Adrian hadn't had sex with Lisa when she offered. She was attractive, and he was attracted to her. Adrian then decided to get the incident on file with the Coast Guard to cover his butt as well. He went to the work-life balance office on the base, and he told them everything that had occurred, including the quote-unquote fact that he had been raped by Lisa. As a part of the interview that he underwent, he says that he was asked if he was suicidal. He says that he lied and said that he was not suicidal because he knew that admitting to such could also lead to a discharge from the Coast Guard. Finally, still spun on the entire issue, Adrian decided that he would approach the chief and tell him everything that had happened as well. The chief, however, did not react even remotely close to professional, nor in the way that Adrian hoped and expected for. The chief actually laughed at the accusation of rape, and he clarified the story by asking Adrian if he was supposed to believe that a petite, married lesbian had raped him against his will. In response, Adrian asked for a transfer to a different base, but the chief told him that a transfer would require far too much paperwork, and so it wasn't going to happen. The chief instead granted Adrian a new desk that was further away from Lisa so that the two would not be forced to interact as much. Now, I am going to pause here to clarify on my end how I feel about all of that. The fact that the chief laughed off the accusation and refused to transfer Adrian was certainly a bad look. With the knowledge that comes with this case in hindsight, there certainly was not a rape. But I would say that there surely should have been some kind of investigation in the moment. You see, I'm someone that has been the victim of an abusive female in my own previous relationship, and I can say that even though we supposedly live in this somewhat progressive society, when you're a male who is a victim of a female, a lot of people don't take that very seriously. Adrian did certainly deserve to be treated better when he tried to file these rape allegations. If you're a victim, a true victim of any crime, you should never be afraid to come forward and seek justice. Women are just as capable of crimes against men, and contrary to popular belief, not all men are willing to jump into the sack with someone just because the offer is open and available. Believe it or not, we are not all pigs, and we can also be victims. But I digress. Adrian clearly started to be bitter and beside himself. 
about a month after that, when the base was going through mandatory sexual assault and harassment training, Adrian says that he broke down in tears, and he told Lisa that he hoped that she had taken notes on the class. Factually, it appears for sure that there was no rape involved in this situation, but Adrian clearly had developed the story in his brain as such, and he was suffering as a victim. Since nobody else was getting involved on his behalf or taking his claim seriously, Adrian made the decision that he needed to get everything off of his chest in some form or fashion, and as such, he decided that he was going to confront Lisa and tell her what she had done and how it was affecting him. He spent almost a month putting together a 19-page letter that he entitled The Lisa Effect. Inside of his first manifesto, he laid out the fact that he had never been so scared in his entire life. While he put that letter together... He and future therapists would say that he came across terms like Stockholm Syndrome and Battered Women Syndrome, and he attached those labels to himself and grew into them mentally. He then sent the letter to Lisa and also sent a copy to Anna. With about two weeks left for his tour in Alaska, things finally started to be looked into. Work had become nearly unbearable, and Adrian met with the Coast Guard Investigative Service. Ultimately, in the end, they said that they did not believe that a sexual assault had occurred on any level, but they did recommend that Adrian get some counseling to help him process what had happened and what had not happened, and also to find ways to help him to overcome the rut that he was finding himself in because of the situation at Lisa's home. In April of 2013, Adrian did just that, and he started to see a therapist. Adrian said that he believed that therapy made things worse instead of better, and when he ultimately ended his tour and was moved to a new post in Chesapeake, Virginia, he did not pursue therapy any longer, even though he had said that he certainly would. When Adrian arrived in Virginia, he was mere minutes into his first shift when he was told that his investigation in Alaska was finished and closed, and he was also handed a disciplinary report. Adrian was reprimanded for harassing Lisa and, quote, causing individual angst and decreased productivity within the division, unquote. All of the work that Adrian had done to get his case known and get his side of the story out had ultimately blown up in his face, and there was a chance that he was still going to lose his job. Lisa, on the other hand, was only reprimanded for excessive alcohol use. This was a turning point for Adrian, and he started to hate and dread his job, and in late 2013, he decided that he wanted out of the Coast Guard and out of life entirely. He decided that he would not re-enlist, and he also decided that he was going to kill Lisa. All of the thoughts and stories that Adrian had told himself over the years festered and grew, and he became more and more delusional and more and more set on what his final goal was going to be. 
Adrian ultimately decided that he needed to make sure that Lisa did not get away with what he deemed she had done to him. He figured that she would just do it again, and he needed to avenge himself and somehow protect future rape victims. He decided that the way to do that was by murdering Lisa. He knew that if he was going to keep thinking about it, he needed to just get it done. And then Adrian painstakingly set to work on plans. He said that he decided that he would embark upon a basic assassination mission. He looked into the Coast Guard files to find Lisa's new address, and Lisa was now stationed in New England, which was about 600 miles north of Chesapeake, where Adrian was stationed. Adrian made the 600-mile drive twice in the end. He drove in October 2014 so that he could look at where Lisa lived and the surrounding area so that he could better plan for his assassination. And then on his birthday, February 5th, 2015, when he ultimately set his plan into motion. On the first trip, he had affixed a surveillance camera to a tree outside of Lisa and Anna's home so that he could watch them and learn their patterns. Lisa Trubnikova was born on March 13th of 1983 to her parents, Louis Berlanga and Virginia Berlanga. She was born and raised in Midland, Texas, and even as a young girl, she had told family and friends that even though she wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do with her life, she knew that she wanted to help people. She had a gentle heart and an even gentler spirit. Lisa and her family were members of the Apostolic Assembly of the Faith in Christ Jesus, which is a Spanish-speaking Pentecostal church. Lisa and her siblings often traveled the country taking part in church missions, always looking to help people on some level, was Lisa. Ultimately, though, Lisa would leave the church because of how strict the denomination was. One would certainly gather that as Lisa discovered that she was gay, it would not have been looked on in a good light by a strict church. Even though Lisa kept her sexuality a secret for most of her life, you can understand the internal struggles that she would have gone through in those regards. Lisa's parents have described her as a young woman who was beautiful, athletic, who loved the outdoors, and who was always a loving, caring, and easygoing young woman. They said that Lisa's sexuality never bothered them, and that they loved Anna unconditionally and Lisa unconditionally. Lisa and Anna would meet in Coast Guard training, and they then stuck together like glue, moving across the country and posting together whenever they could. As it seems to be more often than not, in this case, the world lost a lovely young woman who seems like she was always determined to do good, always breaking my heart as I study these types of cases. Before the events that we're about to talk about, Adrian became completely and literally obsessed with his plan to kill Lisa for the supposed wrongs that she had done to him. Adrian wrote a 250-page manifesto with over a year of work on the manifesto and over a year's worth of planning. 
He believed that he was the victim in the story and that Lisa was indeed the villain. He believed that he was truly the avenging hero for overcoming the fictional rape that he believed had been committed. Completely delusional. Adrian said that he would ultimately die knowing that he had done the right thing. The plan was to kill Lisa and then have himself taken out in a blaze of glory. Death by police was the plan. The manifesto was entitled Lawyer Wars and laid out all of the details for his murder-suicide assassination. Two words were at the center of the manifesto in the mind of Adrian. Quote, terminate her, unquote. And so on February 5th of 2015, Adrian's birthday, he again made the trip 600 miles to where Lisa and Anna lived. Just after 2 a.m., Adrian hooked a GoPro camera up on his chest and he started recording everything so that he could document his last moments and document Lisa's last moments. Clearly, he was wanting and believing that people would think that he was truly some kind of hero for avenging his alleged rape. Adrian showed up with a shotgun to blast his way into the home, and then he ran upstairs to the bedroom, also armed with an AR-15 type of rifle and a pistol as well. He was also wearing a ski mask. The plan at this point was to strike fear into Lisa so that that would be her last emotion before he killed her. Interestingly, though, according to the manifesto, that was all that the guns were supposed to be used for. Fear. The plan was for him to slice Lisa's throat with a knife and then tie up Anna and provoke the police, ensuring that the police would then kill him. However, everything was doomed right from the very beginning. I don't believe that Adrian had any grasp whatsoever of anything that he planned to do. His ideas were perfect on paper, but in practice, things fell apart very quickly. Adrian had a fantasy novel that he had written and made up in his mind. When he stormed into the room and he took off the ski mask and started to yell at Lisa, he was telling her that he, she had had two years to apologize to him for what had happened that night at her place in Alaska. However, since it seems to me that Adrian has also said that she had apologized in the office the following day, this is also incorrect. As Lisa looked back at him and the guns, though, and she, he looked at her eyes and he saw the fear Adrian started to question himself. He knew that just as quickly as he had stormed the bedroom, he had lost control of the situation because he doubted if he could follow through on his plans. In that moment of pause, though, Lisa and Anna flipped the mattress up as a form of cover between themselves and Adrian, and that was when the plan changed in an instant. Adrian opened fire and he emptied his 9mm pistol into the mattress and Lisa was hit and killed instantly. As a part of the plan, Adrian had also blocked the entrance into the neighborhood with his vehicle to slow down response time and he had also set the Mazda on fire. 
That wound up throwing things off because of how fast things changed in the house. It left Adrian waiting impatiently for the police response that he intended to use to cause his own death. Adrian scattered hoax bombs before he invaded the house, and he even had the theme songs from Batman Begins and theme songs from James Bond movies playing on a giant stereo. One psychiatrist would later say that it seemed as though Adrian was actually plotting out his own Hollywood movie, just like Steven Spielberg. Adrian wound up leaving Anna alone, not tied up, and even though she had been also shot four times when that pistol was discharged, she managed to call for dispatch of emergency services. Medics were struggling to get through the strange and elaborate setup that Adrian had created. Finally, though, Adrian saw what he had been waiting for. He saw the outline of the first police officer, and he fired at the officer using the semi-automatic rifle. And as the officer fell to the ground, wounded, Adrian felt like he had salvaged his mission. Surely, there would be gunshots directed right at him for shooting and injuring a police officer. However, all that he was met with was silence. At 2.48 a.m., Adrian was left with just one option. He surrendered, and he survived that mission. That meant that he had failed to win his supposed war, and his martyrdom was completely avoided. Not only was Adrian not killed, he was not even injured. When police went to the hotel room that Adrian had rented for the night, they would find ski masks, handcuff keys, duct tape, materials for starting a fire, a handbook, a mess kit, a first aid kit, zip ties, a knife sharpener, and various other items. Adrian was clearly up to something, and Adrian was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and ordered to be held without bail. Adrian was initially held at a mental health facility rather than a jail so that he could have a psychiatric evaluation. At the end of August 2017, Adrian would finally come to trial after it was deemed that even though he clearly had some mental health issues, he was certainly fit to stand trial. At the trial itself, the charges against Adrian were not even contested. The sole job of the jury was to decide whether Adrian could be held criminally responsible for the murder and other crimes that he had committed. After a week-long trial, it was deemed by the jury that Adrian could be held criminally responsible for everything that he had done. And on September 12th of 2017, a Barnstable Superior Court jury found Adrian guilty of first-degree murder on theories of extreme atrocity and cruelty and deliberate premeditation. Adrian Loya was ultimately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. On appeal, the Massachusetts State Supreme Judicial Court would uphold the first-degree murder conviction, and they rejected the defense bid to have a brand-new trial. 
The defense had argued that the current laws on criminal responsibility had deprived Adrian of having a proper trial and a proper defense. The ruling did state that there was very little doubt that mental health played a role in the crime. However, they also determined that Adrian Loya was capable of discerning the difference between right and wrong, as was shown in his personal manifesto. He knew that killing was wrong, but his hero complex led him to follow through with the idea that he would never pay the price for the crime. And that is the information on this case. This is one of those true crime stories where I believe that everything turned out the way that one would hope after the crime was committed. Thankfully, Anna survived the attack and she spoke up at the trial. Being the only witness aside from the delusional Adrian certainly helped immensely. Adrian's mental health issues did not prevent him from being found guilty. His plan of suicide police by police did not work out, and frankly, he is exactly where he deserves to be, suffering behind the walls of an institution, and he'll remain there for the rest of his life. There's nothing worse than when you hear about someone causing death or destruction and then taking the easy way out, leaving their name to be remembered and their crimes to be remembered with no punishment attached to their crimes. So, for me personally, I am glad that this one worked out the way that it did. Sadly, though, this one was still just another story of bad circumstances that festered and grew and ultimately led to Anna losing her beloved wife and the world losing a woman who truly seemed to be a good one. Everyone that ever knew Lisa knew that she was a beautiful woman inside and out. I want to thank you on the way out for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Please tell a friend, converse with me over on social media, rate the show, and help in any way that you can to spread the word. You can find us on any socials, and you can always find me looking to have conversation of some kind. That's what makes true crime so interesting. There really are infinite opinions and infinite stories that we can share and talk about. So please, join the conversation, and in the meantime, of course, do your best to always be better in the world around you. We can only change ourselves. So be positive, be happy, and be better. I will see you next time.